Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All along, this was what was supposed to happen. A novella about the inauguration, written and read by Curtis Sittenfeld. Part 1 of 5. Standing in the arrivals area of the Philadelphia airport, waiting for her 77-year-old Aunt Letty to come into view, Patrice thinks that it's not that she wasn't thrilled about the outcome of the election. Of course she was. How could she not be? Nor is it that she wasn't planning to celebrate the inauguration. It's just that she wasn't planning to attend it. She'd seen the news reports, up to two million people converging on the Capitol, 10,000 charter buses and 11,000 U.S. troops, and this to Patrice was the biggest deterrent, more than 12,000 porta-potties. Both blessed and cursed with an acute sense of smell, Patrice has more than once, when alone and walking by a construction site, actually crossed a street to avoid passing within a few feet of a porta potty's stench. And besides that, what would any normal person without special access be able to see at the inauguration? The question wasn't whether you'd have a view of the swearing-in, but whether you'd even have a view of a jumbotron. No, Patrice was happy to stay in Philadelphia and toast history from the comfort of her own apartment. She was going to take the day off work, and so were Renee and Corinne, and the three of them were going to order in lunch and watch at Patrice's place. Patrice has the best television, a 40-inch flat screen, and probably they were going to cry a lot and intermittently pat or grip one another's hands and ponder the incredibility of it all and discuss Michelle Obama's outfit. That's pretty much everything they did on election night, except that then they ordered in dinner instead of lunch, and they drank champagne that Corrine had brought. Watching the inauguration on TV with her two closest friends sounded to Patrice like a fine plan, a grand plan even. But shortly after Christmas, her cousin Janet called from St. Louis. You know I hate to lean on you, Janet said after they'd exchanged pleasantries, and Patrice felt a gathering of dread below her sternum. Janet has never hated to lean on anyone, least of all Patrice. William got his dates mixed up is what happened, Janet continued. Here, he arranged a romantic getaway for the two of us. And Patty, you know we haven't taken a vacation for years, just William and me. And he's so proud of himself when he tells me Christmas morning. And what do you know but the trip's the week of January 20th? Patrice said nothing. She still wasn't clear what exactly Janet was after. Well, Patty, that's Inauguration Day, Janet said. Now, I'm sure you remember I was going to take Mama, and now I'm just in this terrible bind. Have you asked Ernie or Steve, Patrice interrupted. These were Janet's brothers. 
Oh, Ernie and his family were there in the living room on Christmas, but Patty, he doesn't have the flexibility you do. And with Steve's kids all crazy now and you already there on the East Coast, of course, reliably single, childless Patrice, why on earth wouldn't it be her pleasure to pick up the slack for her extended family or co-workers? It couldn't be that she chose her situation, could it? To live alone at the age of 48 in a high-rise in downtown Philadelphia, to work 60-hour weeks as a senior vice president of the nation's largest cable provider, to not even own a cat, it could only be that she settled on this life because of a lack of other options, right? Or else Patrice knew from Janet's clumsily, faux-open-minded inquiries that this was an ongoing source of speculation. Could it be that Patrice was a lesbian? The answer, which she denies her relatives the pleasure of learning, is that no, she's not. By this point in the conversation, Patrice had mostly tuned out her cousin. She caught a reference to Cancun as the vacation destination, as well as a few more explanations and buttery, preemptive expressions of gratitude. And then there was a silence, and she knew the request had formally been made. I'll look at my calendar, she said. I'll call you back, all right? This, Patrice had learned the hard way, was how you declined to do a favor, or at least how she did, because when she answered in the moment, she was inclined to say yes, and once she'd said yes, she felt obligated to go through with it. Absolutely, you prey on it, Janet lowered her voice. It's Mama's dying wish. Not that she's dying, but really, Patty, that's the only way to put it. And can you blame her? I'm disappointed myself not to go, but I'm between a rock and a hard place. Oh, really, Patrice thought? So which one is Cancun? She walked to her living room's sliding glass door, which opened onto a narrow balcony. Her apartment, on the 17th floor of a building on Spruce Street, was less than a block off Broad, and on election night, she and Renee and Corrine walked outside and waved down at the revelers who'd congregated on Broad after Pennsylvania was called for Obama. The celebrating was still going strong when Patrice went to bed around midnight, and it was such a wonderful sound to hear that she purposely didn't turn on her white noise machine. But being overjoyed that Obama had won wasn't the same as wanting to escort Aunt Letty to the inauguration. Apart from what was sure to be the madness of Washington, there was also the fact that Patrice and Aunt Letty had never been each other's favorites. Growing up in a duplex in suburban St. Louis, the other half occupied by her aunt, uncle, and cousins, Patrice had always known they considered her and her younger sister, Brenda, to be a bit prissy. Even as a very young girl, Patrice had been meticulous about keeping her clothes clean, and one of her earliest memories was of Aunt Letty mocking her after Patrice declined baked beans at a family cookout for fear of spilling them on her pink pants. The youthful Patrice had also earned her relative scorn for not only memorizing the spelling of the word supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, but for frequently offering to recite it. Patrice and her sister's separation from their cousins was exacerbated when, at a teacher's suggestion, first Patrice and then Brenda enrolled at a parochial high school instead of the public one, which led to their attending out-of-state colleges, Wellesley in Patrice's case, which in turn led to both of them going to graduate school, Patrice at Wharton. Neither of them has lived in St. Louis since high school. Brenda has been in London for more than a decade, married to a Senegalese French man, and they're the parents of nine-year-old twins. Patrice and Brenda's father, an electrician, died of colon cancer in 1985 when Patrice was in her second year at Wharton, 
When her mother, a retired nurse, developed Alzheimer's in 1998, Patrice and Brenda paid for her to live in a top-of-the-line assisted care facility in the Clayton suburb of St. Louis. And until her mother's death in 2002, Patrice flew in to visit every other weekend and arranged for the delivery of fresh flowers on the weekends she wasn't there. As Patrice held the phone to her ear and looked beyond her balcony, her view faced south toward the stadiums and the shipyards on the Delaware River. It was hard not to imagine what her mother would want in this situation. In her quiet way, Patrice's mother had acknowledged that Aunt Letty could be overbearing. Letty speaks her mind, was how Patrice's mother would put it. But still, to her, family was family. You shoveled out their car when you were shoveling out your own. You called to see if they wanted to go along when you were getting Saturday lunch at this Chinese buffet. Patrice's mother would be shocked, Patrice thought, if she knew neither of her daughters had even gone back to St. Louis for Christmas this year. Don't be selfish, Patty, her mother would tell her in this moment, and her mother's voice would be not nagging, but calm and generous, the voice of the person who had always believed in Patrice most. A porta potty never hurt anyone, taking at Letty to see Barack Obama. Let's leave it like this, Janet was saying. You call me in a day or two after you've... Wait. Even as she spoke, Patrice winced, but at least Janet wouldn't be able to see. I'll do it, she said. Aunt Letty, Patrice notes with alarm when at last she comes into view on the far side of the airport's security checkpoint, is not walking. Rather, she's being pushed in a wheelchair, something Patrice has never witnessed of her aunt, and a detail Janet neglected to mention over the phone. Patrice swallows, stealing herself, and walks forward, Aunt Letty, she calls as warmly as she can manage. After all, it's not really Aunt Letty's fault Janet dumped her on Patrice. Aunt Letty wears large plastic glasses and a wig Patrice hasn't seen before, a short, full model with auburn highlights, and she smiles broadly at Patrice, waves, and says something over one shoulder to the airport employee, a heavyset white woman who's pushing her chair. As they approach, Patrice also sees that Aunt Letty is holding her cane so it rests diagonally across her body, which means that she can walk, doesn't it? Because otherwise, why would she still need a cane? And then it's wrapped in alternating red and blue streamers. A large Obama pin hangs on the collar of Aunt Letty's black wool coat, Obama grinning broadly and pointing with his index finger beneath the words, I proudly voted for President Barack Obama, 11408. And under her coat, which is open, Aunt Letty wears a sweatshirt featuring a Barack Obama, Martin Luther King Jr. montage. Patrice herself has acquired no Obama merchandise, not during the election or since. She just isn't much of a pin wearer, and living in the middle of the city, she doesn't own a car on which to affix a bumper sticker. There she is, Aunt Letty says loudly as she's wheeled closer. Patty Wilson, you come here and give me a hug. Patrice leans over, inhaling the honeyed scent of shea butter. She feels for a moment like it's her mother she's embracing, and she must blink back tears. When Patrice has righted herself, Aunt Letty continues to clasp both her hands, looking her up and down, and she says, Baby, I don't know what you're doing, but keep right on doing it. You look fabulous. Excuse me, Patrice thinks. Has she ever in 48 years been greeted this enthusiastically by her aunt? Then Aunt Letty says, Patty, are you ready to go to Washington, D.C. for the celebration of our lifetimes? Patty, yes, we did. Yes, we did, baby. In spite of herself, Patrice giggles, 
exchanging amused glances with the airport employee. So apparently, all these years, all it would have taken for Aunt Letty to be transformed into a sunnily uncritical presence was the election of a black president. Ma'am, we need to go downstairs to baggage claim, the airport employee says, but unexpectedly, Aunt Letty stands. Glancing disdainfully at the wheelchair, she says, I don't need that thing. That's just Janet getting herself worked up. Patty, you and me, we can carry one little suitcase between us, can't we? Patrice nods. She is more relieved than she cares to let on that Aunt Letty is still ambulatory. She takes her aunt's surprisingly heavy black leather pocketbook and hitches it onto one shoulder, and Aunt Letty holds her cane in her right hand. Should Patrice tip the airport employee? She errs on the side of assuming she should, slipping the woman a $5 bill. What was that for, Aunt Letty asks, before the woman has moved more than a few feet away. That's what she's paid to do, Patty. You're just a pushover like your mama. They collect Aunt Letty's suitcase without incident and climb in a cab to Center City. They'll have lunch at Patrice's apartment before catching their mid-afternoon train to D.C. They'll be staying not in a hotel, but in an apartment a few blocks off DuPont Circle that Janet's son found for them on Craigslist. Patrice is trying to remain open-minded, but she is uneasy about the fact that no matter the apartment's condition, they won't have other options. As their cab crosses the Schuylkill River, Aunt Letty leans forward and says to the driver, Young man, I can tell you're as excited as my niece and I are about President Obama. Aunt Letty, Patrice murmurs before she can really stop herself. Yes, the driver is black. He looks about 30. But still. What? He's not hiding it. Aunt Letty points to where an Obama-themed air freshener, a cardboard rectangle with that distinctive O, hangs from the driver's rearview mirror. The driver looks back and grins at them. In thickly accented English, he says, Indeed, I'm as excited as you are.